Welcome to Toho Yaro, a monthly Japanese movie club podcast. I'm Joey Weiser. Uh, Alex Kazanis is here. Hi, Alex. Hey, Joey. Great to be here as per usual. <laughs> as per uh, the, the episode and a half that we're working with. Uh, and That's Scott right. Dryman is here. Hey, Scott. Hi. It's good to talk to everybody again. Yeah, it's great to have you guys. This is our first uh, canonical episode. Um, so we're going to get into the movie in a second. Uh, we did want to just address uh, people. Someone had asked about what our name means. Uh, uh, Toho Yaro um, comes from two things. <laughs> Toho is a Japanese film studio. And as I mentioned in our episode zero introduction, we're not going to just be covering... Uh, Japanese film uh, films from Toho, but uh, that's a good place to start. <laughs> and then the Yaro is means like uh, guys or jerks or whatever rascals. <clears throat> and we mostly took that from a film series called Truck Yaro, uh, which is a series I talk about on that past episode um, about truckers. So we've combined those two forces together to create Toho Yaro. And that's us, the Toho guys. Um, I personally justify, <laughs> you know, when we'd been throwing around names, I, uh, my brain immediately was kind of like, well, I don't know, Toho, we're not going to be only talking about Toho movies, but uh, I, as I'll get into it, this, I, you know, have a long history with Godzilla, and Godzilla's a Toho product, so I definitely would say that I'm a Toho guy in the sense that I got involved with uh my first love of japanese movies came from toho uh studios so uh yeah so you guys ready to get started yeah let's, let's, do, let's do this Fours Godzilla. It's a big movie to start with, but I think uh, kicking off uh, Toho Yara with a bang is a good way to go. Um, so Godzilla, it was directed by Ishiro Honda. Um, he is, had directed a lot of, he's known for directing a lot of Godzilla and monster movies. He's also a collaborator, uh, had collaborated a lot with Akira Kurosawa on a number of films, including Stray Dog and later uh, Kurosawa's later output like Kagemusha, Ron, and Dreams. Um, notable actors in this movie are uh, Akira Takarada as uh, Hideto Ogata, the heroic sailor, uh, Akihiko Hirata as Daisuke Serizawa, the brooding eyepatch scientist, uh, Takashi Shimura, uh, Kyohei Yamane uh, as Kyo Kyohei Yamane, the heavy-hearted paleontologist, Momoko Kochi as Emiko Yamane, who is uh, Dr. Yamane's daughter and the love interest uh, for Ogata and Serizawa. And I'd also like to mention Haro Nakajima and Katsumi Tezuka, who were the actors that portrayed Godzilla in the Godzilla suit. Nakajima, in particular, uh, continued to play Godzilla uh, into the 70s. Um, Akira Takarada is... Uh, a name that like he was kind of at the beginning of his career at this point, but uh, he became comes a major leading man in tons of movies, historic swordsman movies, and also is in several Godzilla movies. Um, 
the standout actor for me, um, not necessarily in terms of performance, but just as someone who I recognize right off the bat, is uh, Takashi Shimura. Uh, he frequently appeared in Godzilla movies as well uh, as, you know, a lot, tons and tons of movies, but is par- perhaps most well-known um, as one of Akira Kurosawa's go-to guys. Uh, he was in several of his films, including Seven Samurai, Ikiru, uh, Rashomon. Uh, he was actually one time named the best actor in the world by the New York Times. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, personally, uh, I, you know, have a warmth for him from seeing him appear in a few of the early Torasan movies uh, as one of the characters' father. Uh, he's super great in that. Uh, I think that superlative might not be undeserved because he, looking across all the movies he's in, he's got an amazing amount of range and and plays a bunch of different roles throughout his career. So mm-hmm. he's always excellent. Yeah, I think it may have been a write up for Ikiru where that was declared, but I I don't remember for sure. Um, that was in the I listened. To... Oh, go ahead. That's not surprising to me at all. Uh, Ikiru is one of those movies that just uh, you can't help but. Uh, get your gut completely torn out of you <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, that one's uh, that one's on our list for uh, coming up uh, in in a few months. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, other notable staff. Uh, uh, do you have something to say, Scott? I was going to say I think uh, Akira uh, Takarada and I'm pretty sure that uh, Momoko Kochi both came out of the Toho's New Faces program. Hmm, that's interesting. Which I, uh, I only know a little bit about that. You may know more. I don't. I don't in particular. But that's interesting that they would throw new faces into this. This, you know, this is a movie that was uh, extremely expensive to make. Um, but it does seem like maybe it wasn't. They didn't expect it necessarily to become the sort of like decades long uh, sensation that it that it did turn out to be. Yeah. Um, and for for this, you know, in the sort of pre-segment, we're not going to always necessarily dig uh, this deep into the credits, but I wanted to mention a couple other uh, staff members. Uh, Akira Ifukube uh, wrote the score, and uh, I think is a very integral part of this, as well as the sort of Godzilla franchise as a whole. Uh, he, he wrote some extremely iconic music, and uh, I've heard him contribute to like Zatoichi films as well. And, and any film that uh, he scores, it brings a lot of gravitas to. Um, and then also Eiji Tsuburaya, who is a very important uh, name. <laughs> he was the special effects director and he was instrumental in creating the special effects for this movie, mm. uh, which then, you know, the, the techniques he created for this and other uh, similar movies are still used uh, to this day with Japanese live action uh like Super Sentai and stuff. Uh, he's the man behind Godzilla as well as Ultraman uh, and the whole Ultra series, Ultra Q, all that. <clears throat> so, uh, getting into the movie, and feel free to, uh, you know, interject if you have thoughts, but I'm going to give a brief synopsis and then we'll kind of get more into uh, our opinions and stuff. Uh, the film begins with a flash and ships uh, being destroyed off the shore of a remote island called Odo Island. Uh, there's only one survivor who returns and fishing dries up and uh, an elder on the island blames the phenomena on a creature of legend called Godzilla. Uh, that night, a wild storm, uh, uh, during a wild storm, much of the village is destroyed by a mysterious force. 
news of this travels to mainland Japan, and uh, Dr. Yamane sails to Odo with his daughter Emiko and the sailor Ogata to investigate. Uh, while they're inspecting the damage, uh, Godzilla suddenly appears over the mountainside, causing much panic on the island. What did you guys think of the first appearance of Godzilla? I uh, <laughs> so this was um a little a little uh pretext. I uh I had never seen an old school Godzilla movie front to back before. Mm-hmm. So um, I uh I actually wasn't wasn't ready for how um <laughs> how terrifying it would be. Honestly, yeah. And yeah. and and the reason and the reason being that iconic uh, roar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that still, roar it's, is great. It sends chills down your spine, and uh, you know, Godzilla looks like what I would have expected for him to look like. So I didn't like, you know, I, I wasn't like, oh man, that's like really shitty. I've seen some pretty bad giant monster movies before, <laughs> uh, at, at least um, you know, old cheesy American ones anyway. And yeah. uh, Godzilla looks pretty pretty threatening and. Um, just him coming up over the mountain. That's that's the first of many really really awesome shots we're going to mm-hmm. see of him. Yeah, that roar was actually created by Ifukube, who did the music as well. I think that's worth noting. Mm. Uh, isn't it just a, a loosened cello string that they played and then distorted? Yeah, uh, I don't remember what it, it's like running something across cello strings. Um. But uh, yeah, that Godzilla appears kind of in two different ways in this movie. Like sometimes he's a puppet, and sometimes he's a guy in a in a suit. And that case, I believe, is a puppet. And the puppet, I think, even looks a little more gnarly. He's got kind of more like crazy teeth and eyes and stuff. Yeah, I'm honestly not a fan of the puppet Godzilla because a lot of the shots mm-hmm. that they used for his face for that just something about how it it's kind of Muppet like and how it can yeah. deform and doesn't have a proper skull. It just bothers me a little bit, but yeah, uh, he's a little it, freakier looking. His ears are more prominent and <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, so I don't really like that. The, the way his head looks, but what really sells that scene to me is the uh, reaction shot of Imiko screaming. Once they finally mm-hmm. get to the top of the hill and the kind of build up for him uh, with everybody running up the mountain. I really like one of the shots, the, the far back shot that has like matte composites of the destruction in it and just the constant like pounding uh, sound that's going on. So, so that's something that actually kind of bothered me is that even when Godzilla is in the water, you hear the pounding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a thing that's like effective emotionally, but it doesn't make a lot of scientific sense, which will come back into play that that concept <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it took me a while to figure out if that was supposed to be his actual footsteps or just and a uh, kind of sound track decision yeah i mean for what it's worth it's like that those sound effects are included like in soundtrack songs and stuff too sometimes but i think it's mm-hmm. kind of music but it's kind of also sound effects um anyway so returning uh to the synopsis dr yamane returns to tokyo uh, to tell the world uh, what they have found, and he theorizes that Godzilla is an ancient dinosaur awoken by the hydrogen hydrogen bomb testing. Um, news gets out uh, to the people of Japan, and they are shocked. Um, and we'll get back to that uh, in more detail. Uh, the Japanese Navy attempts to kill Godzilla with no luck. Yamane would prefer to study the creature. He believes that Godzilla is unkillable. Uh, at this point, there's a particularly awesome line, I think, where he says, Godzilla was baptized in the fire of the H-bomb and survived, um, at least in the subtitled version that I was watching. Um, mm. 
but there are uh, so uh, but there is a lead uh, that Emiko's fiance, Doctor Sarazawa, may be able to kill Godzilla. And this kind of this brings us to the love triangle uh, plot of the movie. Emiko is a childhood friend uh, of Sarazawa, but she sees him more as a brother. And she and Ogata are in love and actually wish to uh, call that marriage off. Um, however, as it's like later, later heavily inferred, Sarazawa is uh, actually in love with Emiko. Yeah, I didn't particularly uh, <laughs> I think that was super clear because at the beginning of the movie, Ogata and Emiko are about to go go see a movie or something like that, and he gets called uh, uh, called to work, and later on uh Sarazawa is sharing you know with Emiko his his quote-unquote terrible secret uh mm-hmm. and there was I, I don't know there was a it was it wasn't very clear to me at, at the very least I, I think that's intentional that it's you you see them together constantly like the beginning scene and even at the house later they're together and it's supposed to be a big reveal that she's actually uh Sarazawa's fiance which jumping back to when they leave on the boat for the first time we first see Sarazawa mm-hmm. I love that shot of him on the dock just sitting yeah. there dead face holding the thing as it's unspooling while everybody else is celebrating gives you a real snapshot of his personality everyone's cheering and like holding those things and I love that he is holding the uh, streamer but he's dressed all in black <laughs> he looks like an Osamu Tezuka villain yeah <laughs> like from a from a Tezuka comic doesn't he yeah He's he's really striking. Uh, Yeah. So Sarazawa feigns ignorance of uh, any way to defeat Godzilla, but he invites Emiko to his underground lab (laughs) uh, to show her something secret. And this lab is like a cool 50s sci fi laboratory. Lots of like beakers everywhere and and, you know, little electrical devices and stuff. Uh, So what he shows Emiko horrifies her, uh, but we don't see it till later. Um, Godzilla continues to wreak havoc as our heroes deal with uh, their various moral quandaries and personal dramas. And finally, uh, we reach Godzilla's big destruction sequence. Uh, And this is really like a pretty amazing sequence. Um, So let's see. So he, uh, he finally comes on land and does major business to Tokyo. With the city ablaze, uh, we get to see, uh, Godzilla's signature radioactive breath, uh, which not only melts towers and structures like that, but we also see it directly hit people in the streets. Uh, this is a really, really rough, <laughs> I don't know, pretty pretty intense sequence, uh, especially considering uh, the Godzilla that I'm kind of used to, where he just kind of like breaks some buildings and stuff, but you don't really like see a lot of like human casualties. <laughs> yeah, this movie is really messed up, actually. There's a lot of messed up stuff that goes on during that entire sequence mm-hmm. uh, yeah the like the the family the mother saying oh we'll, we'll be with your daddy soon like that like that and the fact that you actually see people get hit by the radioactive breath like it's it's really it's really rough and yeah. i don't mean that in like a bad way it's 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 just like wow i this movie was a lot heavier than i gave it credit for actually yeah. So that sequence with the mother and and the kids is really intense. I think it's supposed like I, my first initial thought was like, oh, their dad must have uh, died in the war, and it's kind of a reference to World War Two. But like the kids aren't old enough for that to be the case. But yeah. like I think that whole scene is supposed to sort of mimic your idea of what it would be like when the atomic bomb 
was hitting a city and people were saying things like that. Uh, or, you know, if they had time to think things like that. Yeah, a lot of the movie is, is I, I assume, very reminiscent of scenes that you would have seen during the war, not just uh, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but in, in other places that have been for example, firebombed and the shot after this where it's in a makeshift hospital and there are children crying mm. and wounded people everywhere had like the thing, this movie was only what nine years out from the, uh, from the end of the war. Mm-hmm. So this is still fresh and living memory for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually Godzilla is pushed back to the sea by the air force, but you, <laughs> you kind of get the sense that they're merely an annoyance and not really any real threat. And uh, then that brings us to that scene that you're mentioning, that sort of harrowing scene in the refuge shelter. Uh, and that pushes, seeing all of this, uh, Emiko, it pushes Emiko to tell Ogata what Sarazawa showed her. Um, his research led him to create uh, a quote-unquote oxygen destroyer, uh, which is a cool <laughs> name for a crazy <laughs> pseudoscience uh, device. I mean, it's a cool name for anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a Star Wars weapon, right? <laughs> uh, so he demonstrates the oxygen destroyer by dropping it in a fish tank, and it strips the fish of uh, their flesh and eventually dissolving their bones. The sort of like concept is that it liquefies uh, oxygen, at, well, it destroys oxygen, liquefying living creatures in the water, which, you know, don't think about it too hard. Uh, I think <laughs> someone pointed out it would uh, actually make all the water disappear as well. That were the case, but um, but so Sarazawa is is well aware of the implications of this research, and and he he believes that the world must never have access to a weapon even more powerful than the hydrogen bomb, uh, and so he swore her to secrecy, but she's broken this promise, uh, feeling that the the circumstances, you know, are make it necessary. Uh, so having spilled the beans, Emiko and Ogata confront Sarazawa. In his lab, uh, he's reluctant to use the oxygen destroyer against Godzilla, but is eventually swayed uh, when they see a news report of the damage done to Tokyo and a children's choir praying for peace. Uh, this this is a moment where uh, Ifukube's music is really powerful, I think, and uh, I have teared up a little bit uh, watching it. Um, there's a slight skirmish uh, in the lab, and Sarazawa notices Emiko lovingly taking care of Ogata's wounds. Uh, Sarazawa destroys his research uh, and agrees to use the oxygen destroyer just this once. So this is moving on to the final scene of the movie. I just wanted to put out a little bit of a spoiler alert. You know, this is an old movie, (laughs) but if anyone's wanting to like save a little bit uh, of a surprise, they might want to skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, So this here we are in the spoiler territory Uh, in the final scene. Um, everyone goes out on a boat and locates Godzilla uh, on the sea, roaming on the seafloor, and Sarazawa wants to dive down alone to d- deliver the oxygen destroyer to Godzilla, but Ogata insists that he come as well uh, because Sarazawa is not a skilled di- uh, diver. Um, they dive together and find Godzilla. Sarazawa signals for Ogata to rise back to the boat as he unleashes the oxygen destroyer. However, despite Ogata's protests, Sarazawa stays behind, uh, wishes Emiko and Ogata a happy life together, cuts his own line, and unleashes the oxygen destroyer, dissolving both himself and Godzilla. 
Um, and then at the very end of the film, uh, Dr. Yamane warns that there may be more Godzillas of Godzilla's kind, and if nuclear war testing continues, uh, another monster may appear. Dun, dun, dun. I know at the end there, that was supposed to be kind of a warning, but given uh, Yamane's character, you have to wonder if, if that's a kind of hopeful thing with how much he <laughs> wanted to actually study Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, he looks pretty upset. <laughs> I mean, he looks like worn down, you know, kind of. Yeah. Um, what I, I uh, what I got from that, uh, it's it sort of reminds me of old movies where, uh, you know, well, I guess we learned a lesson from all this. Never blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, that brings us to one of my points that I wanted to mention is that the Godzilla is a nuclear metaphor in this is like super overt and direct, like. I've yes. always, I'd always heard, I mean, people bring this up with a lot of Japanese media all the time, like monster movies and movies like Akira and stuff. Uh, they'll say, they'll compare it to the bombings of World War II and stuff. And I've always, you know, with Godzilla, at least, I've kind of brushed it off a little bit. Always kind of been like, well, you know, yeah, sure, these are radioactive created creatures, but it's not like, you know, Godzilla fighting Mothra is any huge, like, nuclear <laughs> metaphor or something. But, uh, you know, when I finally did see this as an adult, I really understand that comparison a lot better. Um, And there's, you know, like overt and direct comparisons, like I said, to atomic bombings. The one that I find really powerful besides that one with the mother and her child is the scene of the woman on the train uh, where she says, like, I she says, like, uh, I escaped the bombings in Nagasaki and now this. You know, and that's that's something that's pretty intense to to put in, uh, you know, what could be a goofy monster movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Especially uh, especially 10 years after the fact, like mm. that, that floored me that that's the thing that like shocked me the most is that how 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 soon that that this movie was made. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to mention um, that following World War Two, the uh, America had occupied Japan and was secretly testing hydrogen bombs off the shore of remote islands and they'd marked these territories as off limits with but gave no explanation why and there was this famous case of a fishing boat called the lucky dragon which was like well nobody else is fishing here so they were being sneaky and 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 sailed into those waters but then they were hit by the bomb and uh this you know there i think there was you know maybe one or a few survivors and this is a huge controversy, and and that scene uh, practically is adapted beat for beat at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, as there's only one survivor. Uh, okay. If I can digress for a minute about the U.S. Uh, thermonuclear weapons testing, um, so they they talk a lot about H bombs, and something that we should keep in mind for context for this is the bombs dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were about. Uh, 15 and 20 kiloton bombs respectively uh, and and they were uh, atomic bombs later u.s developed hydrogen bombs which was a, a new more destructive form of of thermonuclear device and so when they when they first started talking about this in media the the idea was that these bombs were orders of magnitude more powerful than what had been dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So the idea of something that if this 
this thing that that we experienced and remember was 15 or 20 kilotons and then the castle bravo test that uh that the lucky dragon was caught up in was uh roughly about a hundred or roughly about a thousand times more powerful than those like you have you have a much better context for the amount of sheer destruction and how terrifying that can be yeah 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 um and i did uh, as far as sort of other facts about the movie i did want to bring up the american version uh godzilla king of the monsters uh have either of you seen that i haven't seen it since i was a kid and have yeah. very little memory of it mm-hmm. yeah okay so nope oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah i didn't think you had i mean i knew you hadn't <laughs> alex <laughs> Um, yeah. So the American version is interesting. It came out two years later in 1956. Um, it stars Raymond Burr. It has a similar plot, uh, but pulls back a little bit on direct references to the atomic bomb and things like that. Um, a lot of those scenes uh, are cut out or dubbed over in different ways. Um, and the way that that movie is made is that there are scenes with American actors, uh, Raymond Burr, and then mostly Asian American actors playing Japanese people um, inserted into scenes uh, on sets that are made up to look uh, similar to sets. So it's like Raymond Burr's character is a reporter. So he's, uh, you know, uh, following the story and most of the movie is structured as a flashback. It actually starts right after like the beginning of the movie is right after Godzilla's big attack. And then it kind of flashes back. And, and so this gives Raymond Burr, as the reporter, a narrator, the opportunity to sort of narrate uh, a lot of things. There's actually, like, not as much, like, it's not entirely dubbed over, which I think is interesting. Uh, there's kind of interesting choices when and when not to dub characters. Uh, main characters, when they're speaking to each other, are often dubbed, but not always. A lot of times, Raymond Burr will have, like, a buddy with him that's, like, an interpreter or something, and so we'll see, like, a little bit of... Uh, Japanese scene in Japanese and then it'll cut to Raymond Burr and his friend and his friend will be describing what's happening and <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because sometimes uh, the, they'll be saying something in Japanese and then the and then the uh, interpreter will say something completely different in English not actually important <laughs> what they were saying in Japanese they just needed uh, a scene of someone looking upset or something like that <laughs> but um, I think that that movie, you know, for what it is, is pretty good. Uh, Raymond Burr is really, really good in it. He's um, he was also in Rear Window. Uh, he's you know uh, he's a talented actor, and uh, the dubbing is really bad. So uh, and there will be like <laughs> weird instances where like Emiko will exclaim something in Japanese, and then all of a sudden this like southern lady dub actor will come in and you're kind of like whoa where did this come from uh so so all the principal characters from the 1954 version are present then yeah uh okay. the oh, one wow. that's like not really in it is the japanese reporter character which i didn't really touch on he he has a sort of minor oh yeah kind of threading things together he's that basically guy. cut out of it because we have raymond burr as as a reporter character that guy in the uh, in the version that we watched reminded me of the the Hindenburg guy, the O oh, the Humanity guy, <laughs> it, it, except um except nobody died during the Hindenburg explosion. Right, right. And everybody dies in Godzilla, <laughs> including that guy. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think they string things together, like they make it so that Ray, like Raymond Burr's character, whose name is Steve Martin, by the way, uh, Steve Martin <laughs> is like friends with Sarah Zauer or something. So it kind of justifies him being there when we see scenes in his lab and things like that. But, um, you know, it's a decent movie. I would recommend checking it out if you're curious. Uh, but the Japanese movie has a lot more like heaviness to it, for sure. Um, were there any more sort of like trivia or facts or things that you guys wanted to talk about before we got into our particular histories with the movie? I was really amused that they specifically list Godzilla as being 165 feet tall, which uh, it runs very counter to the claims of the Hanna-Barbera cartoon of him being 30 stories. <laughs> with Godzuki? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things thrown out there. I think they said that the dinosaurs lived two million years ago or something like that. So I, you know, it's just. <laughs> oh but, yeah, um... there's a lot of weird, weird science in this movie. Uh, that you just have to sort of, you know, suspend your disbelief and say, well, okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah like it, for yeah, sure. Because Godzilla, he's he's what a a a dinosaur who was living dormant in the core of the earth. Is that mm-hmm. is that what he was? You know, More if you sleep long enough, you don't have to eat or breathe or age or anything (laughs) Um, so i was a big godzilla fan as a kid as i mentioned in our episode zero um and i think i saw it like scott was saying i think i saw the american version when i was a kid like i had when i finally saw it as again as adult i had vague memories of it but like i definitely saw this as being like old and boring godzilla doesn't even fight any other monsters in it you know (laughs) and it's black and white you know gross but um And, uh, so I, you know, I'd been curious about the movie for a long time. There was that, uh, DVD set that was called Gojira. That was a black and white cover with red text on the, on, on it. And I'd been like thinking about picking it up from time to time, but not super motivated to, because I still had that sort of like mindset of like, oh yeah, I saw this once it wasn't very good. Um, but, uh, when the Criterion set came out, I was getting really excited. And then it was actually Scott who gifted it to me, I think maybe it was a Christmas present or birthday, I can't re- remember for sure. But I, think, it, I think it was Christmas. Yeah, yeah, so, and that was, you know, that was a great uh, kick in my butt to finally watch it, <laughs> watch it again, and I was blown away. <laughs> uh, I loved it, and I love, you know, I still like the American version as well a lot more than I did then, and it actually ended up inspiring me, uh, having this huge turnaround, I was like, kind of made me realize that I didn't really super remember many of the Godzilla movies that I loved so much as a kid. So it inspired a chronological watch through that I did uh, leading up to the 2014 American movie. And uh, that was a really fun time. So I appreciated it. Uh, How about you guys? Uh, I had a fairly similar arc in that I, I watched the American version as a kid. And then I got really into other giant monster movies, not just, Godzilla, but uh, one of my favorites when I was little was I think Frankenstein Conquers the World, which is mm-hmm. features a giant Frankenstein is just insane. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, so I watched all the the Godzilla versus other monster movies, and it wasn't until like you, I was an adult, and I went back and revisited the the original Japanese version, and sat down and and realized that it's not some goofy monster fighting movie that it's like serious dark sci-fi horror and yeah uh really ahead of its time in terms of like tone because it 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 does get a little cheesy at the end when it's like 
if we don't stop nuclear testing, this will happen again. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's it's really a meditation on like the the horrors of the things that people had been through and how scary atomic weapons are. And uh, yeah, just made me kind of rethink the the whole context of that series, and then wonder how it really ended up where it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. You know, and Alex, as you said, you hadn't seen this at all. Uh, before. No, um, I haven't. Uh, my the only exposure I've ever had to Godzilla, besides the you know, I'm pretty well versed in pop culture, so I guess I can say that I know bits and pieces about Godzilla just from seeing other things or reading up on it a little bit. Like you know, you know, he's mm-hmm. got the you know the atomic breath, and he fights you know monsters occasionally teaming up with them, and I know a lot of the principal monsters. Uh, I've seen the two MST3K episodes they did. Okay, um, yeah. Versus Megalon and versus the Sea Monster. Uh, versus the Sea Monster, I remember a lot better than than Megalon, just because it's a little more ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I, with um, them throwing rocks at each other and stuff. I mean, Megalon yeah. has... Uh, I, I, w- I would maybe say Megalon's more ridiculous in my opinion, but... <laughs> well, well, it's got the... I, I think the monster is... I, I think the Sea Monster is more ridiculous. I think yeah, yeah, Megalon yeah. Is. <laughs> um but i did see the uh, 2014 godzilla uh last year mm-hmm. and i loved it i thought it was awesome um and yeah, i don't know if I that's it too. because i hadn't seen a godzilla movie before but mm-hmm. it the sense of scale that you got uh and i thought that the reveal of godzilla himself was really great and the monster fights were cool and i i just oh god it was it was really cool <laughs> um <laughs> So, so seeing this movie and knowing what I did uh, about about Godzilla from before, like the old school movies, I like okay, well, this is just going to be super cheesy, and it's probably going to be super boring because he's not fighting any monsters; he's just destroying shit. But I feel like uh, I ate my words when I watched this because, boy, <laughs> I, I I was not expecting the gravitas that um, that this movie had. Um, really, really, really blew me away. Yeah, it's it's more like Scott uh dropped uh Scott mentioned that it's like a horror movie and I think that's a really mm-hmm. good way to say it is it's actually more of a horror movie than you know what you think of as a giant monster uh sci-fi movie. Yes, that's um that's a really good point. Uh my parents told me that they went to go see the new Godzilla uh when it came out and they hated it. Oh yeah. And I thought and I thought to myself like that's a really weird thing for my parents to see. Like why would they go see Godzilla and mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me until like when I was watching this the other night, I'm like, ah, that must that must have been why they went to see the new one because I'm sure that the only one that they've ever seen is the original, mm-hmm. and and uh, it maybe King of the Monsters, I don't know, but either way, uh, it's still basically for all intents and purposes the same movie. So uh, maybe they were expecting something with a little more weight to it, and <laughs> what they got was something a little more fan servicey. <laughs> yeah, uh, my uh. Real quick, my kind of hot take <laughs> on the 2014 movie is I feel like there's a much there's a better movie in there, you know, like if they had maybe uh, if, you know, I really wish that it had been following Brian Cranston's character throughout the movie, you know, but like um, but I really love the way that they made Godzilla. And like you said, the scale, like he feels huge. And mm-hmm. when he finally does, you know, it's kind of frustrating how long it takes for him to show up. But when he finally does show up, I, I think it's great. Like, really. Uh, um, but it does have a little less, like, 
context, like contextually, like, I don't know. It has a little less heart to it, I guess, <laughs> than, than yeah. something that's a direct commentary on like horrible atrocities that your nation <laughs> suffered, you know? Uh, I was going to say that that comparing it, I, I really like the slow burn on until you actually get a good look at Godzilla in that movie. But mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking about when when rewatching the original, the uh, the kind of slow burn they do on that, and the the scene of the storm where you just get buildings falling and you can't even really tell if it's Godzilla or just winds, and it's mm-hmm. not it it kind of dawns on you as it's going. Uh, I really like that that kind of slow burn there and the idea of showing him originally as a kind of uh, elemental and spiritual menace instead of just a sci-fi thing and wish they had kept that kind of line throughout the whole movie. Uh, but, uh, but then, then once, once you're done with that kind of teasing, they're just like, Oh, here he is on top of the Hill looking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, to some extent, like how can you hide something that's so huge? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this, you know, this movie is great. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it has a lot of historical significance, both uh, as the beginning of a pop culture legacy and as as its commentary on the World War Two bombings, as well as the sort of like following arms race. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I was watching, <clears throat> I did uh, watch through uh, the entire series a couple years ago. And it's interesting to kind of watch Godzilla evolve uh, from a straight up like horrifying monster to a sort of um, horrifying monster that occasionally fights away, fights away like even worse monsters to just a straight up hero that you can't wait to show up and save the day and stuff. Um, And yeah, I definitely would like to eventually uh, come back to Godzilla series and watch, watch other Godzilla movies with you guys uh, to compare and contrast. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm really curious about the the upcoming Anno Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what actually, that's going to be like. Yeah, I actually thought of that uh, because the puppet uh, version of Godzilla that we were saying looks really weird and kind of like uh, more scary in some ways. Like, kind of looks more like Anno's Godzilla, at least from what we've seen. It has kind of yeah. scrawnier arms and and little toothpick teeth and stuff like the uh the really buggy eyes (laughs) yeah yeah so uh let's close out by saying some of our favorite parts of the film if it could either be like a scene or an aspect of the film uh for me uh dr sarazawa is far and away the standout character um his moral dilemma and his part in the love triangle and his role in the final scene of the film, I found very uh, moving and especially mixed in with the powerful music um, um, of both the sort of scene in his lab where he's being convinced and and uh, and at the final scene underwater. Uh, I found, you know, very powerful and, and, and really great. Uh, and he's just, you know, like we've already discussed, <laughs> super striking with that eye patch and black suit and stuff. And that actor, I'm not like super familiar with him. He shows up in a Torasan movie, and I've probably seen him in other stuff. I think he's in other Godzilla movies as well. He's in uh, at least one Ultraman movie, I think. Oh, <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but uh, I also wanted to add, I think he was in a previous uh, Honda movie where he also had an eye patch. So it's just like his <laughs> signature thing. 
<laughs> Honda was like, well, he was real good at wearing that that time. Uh, he didn't run into anything. Or... <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, as I was watching this the other night, I was watching with a friend of mine, and um, I think he looked up. We were wondering why he had the eye patch. I'm like, oh, because he's evil. But mm-hmm. no, he's not. Uh, um, he, uh, I, I don't remember them mentioning this in the movie, but apparently uh, Sarazawa had lost his eye during World War II. Yeah, I think that's really interesting too. I don't. Uh, I've heard like I heard that, and I re-listened to the commentary uh, on the disc that I have, and um, to get some of my facts and stuff. But and he mentioned that, and I don't remember that being said. It could be similar to the what we were saying about the love triangle thing, uh, something that's said in a like very quick offhand line. Or who knows? There's a lot sort of unsaid in uh, Japanese language and stuff and and culture. So like, it's very possible that there's like a reference that I was kind of over our heads that that would have sort of signified that. But I think that's really interesting how everything does sort of tie back continually tie tie back with World War Two. Um. So Scott, do you have a f- favorite part of the film that you'd like to highlight? Uh, I was going to say Sarazawa, but you took that. I do want to say one more thing about him is that I found it really interesting that when we fir- that when we go to his home, it's instead of being a, a regular Japanese home, it's this weird kind of Western or European style <laughs> castle. castle looking thing. And then he puts on Western music on the radio. Uh huh. So I found that a really interesting juxtaposition. I guess I'm I feel like they're trying to paint him as some kind of like sinister mad scientist. And, and then it turns out he's actually he's he's made this terrible thing, but he's actually a good dude about it. So, yeah, he kind of comes off to me as like a sympathetic weirdo. Like he's weird and doesn't quite know how to express himself. And he's in love with this girl who's in love with the cool sailor jock guy, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I found him very sympathetic. <laughs> but uh, but since since you highlighted that, I'll talk about how much I love the special effects in this movie, especially a lot of Mm. the like uh, matte backgrounds and all the miniature work, which I mean that you you can, I I say miniature in that they're, they're smaller than they are, but they're actually pretty large scale miniatures that they were working with. And so many of them look so good. Uh, There are only a few kind of awkward shots uh, in the movie. Usually when something is, is crashing, Although I I do love one shot where the fire engine crashes into the building that looks really good, but yeah. just just so so much of the the city recreated with loving detail and everything just to be destroyed. Um, a lot of the atomic breath effects I I really liked, which I had forgotten that that it showed up in the first movie of the series and it wasn't an invention mm-hmm. of the later ones. But uh, I I especially like when he's using it on the the electric towers and. They actually had them melt. Uh, yeah, that's really nice. Which is, um, yeah, that's what I, I like. Um, I, I love the concept of Godzilla's atomic breath. Like he's so radiated that he can just kind of breathe it out. Um, and and it always has a great build up with his spines like um, glowing beforehand and stuff like that. I think he's mm-hmm. it's often sort of misinterpreted as like lasers or or fire. Um, but I, I love the idea that it's just this sort of like invisible destructive breath. Yeah. The, uh, I, I think we discussed a little bit before the show that this was basically filmed, uh, over the summer of, of 1954, which you can kind of tell with how like sweaty everybody looks. 
but the the fact that this was made on such a a short production schedule and everything still looks so good uh and we i haven't even we haven't even talked much about the suit itself aside from the puppet thing mm-hmm. that like just the the way Godzilla moves and the the way the suit looks is still holds up to me as as being excellent uh, the face is a little janky to me, but just everything else about it, and especially the shots of when it's just kind of like over the shoulder or anytime the the mm-hmm. face is is occluded, just looks incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of it being made in a rush, there was a kind of kind of came uh, funny story from the commentary came to my mind that uh, Ifukube when he was making the score, they showed him the movie, but none of the special effects were done yet and Subaraya was very particular about not showing anyone anything until it was finished and so what they showed him was a cut where it would be all the uh, filmed scenes and then the screen would go black and A.G. Subaraya would then come out and then describe what was happening on the <laughs> scenes and Ifukube had to just sort of imagine from that and create a score around this sort of like <laughs> dude explaining in front of a black screen what, what horrible things were happening oh uh Speaking of, can we uh, talk about the Godzilla theme for a moment? Yeah. Yeah, like, I... I, uh... It's probably the most traditional Japanese movie theme I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like... It's like a patient zero for every other... <laughs> like large scale what or what i consider to be like purely japanese score yeah the use of the strings like it's uh and it's and it's it sort of builds up to something yeah i think it's incredible i think it's it's really like it's very simple but it is super effective it conveys the largeness of godzilla and the sort of enormity of the danger that he is you know um yeah and 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 is eventually able to sort of be manipulated to be a sort of uh heroic theme as well uh in an interesting way uh later which if we revisiting those movies that's something we need to remember to to kind of look for Mm -hmm. yeah i think with series uh the way i wanted to do series uh movie series from now on is kind of like always start with the first one and then we can jump around so we may not uh, move directly to you know movie two movie three movie four but like is definitely something that i think would be worth mentioning uh alex do you have a favorite part of the film that you'd like to highlight yeah scott already touched on the some of the stuff that i uh that i really enjoyed about the movie like the miniature work it's all really really solid stuff I'm a sucker for miniatures uh, or anything practical mm-hmm. uh, just because it's, it's something that you can touch. It's something that looks real. Uh, and the miniature work in this movie is kind of cheesy, but it's that right amount of cheese. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, the way the monster moves uh, is completely believable. I was not taken out of the movie by the way uh, the suit looked at all. Uh, yeah. It was, it, I really believe that that was uh, Godzilla walking around. Um, I think the suit looks better than it does in later films uh, in some circumstances. Do you think black and white might help with that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a big, you know, that's a big factor for sure. But uh, just his yeah. proportions and stuff, uh, he looks he looks good, I think. Yeah, but um, my favorite part of the movie, um, bar none, I guess, is uh, when he lays waste to Tokyo. 
he uh, he hates bridges. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they try to. I love that they try to keep him out using an electric fence, and it uh-huh. doesn't work at all. <laughs> and uh, make sure to keep a safe distance. About five hundred meters should do it. It's fucking. It's just. Ridiculous. It's like we determined this by trapping other giant monsters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I I kept thinking back to Pacific Rim. I'm like, dude, if a giant wall didn't keep out these monsters, then what chance do you have keeping out Godzilla <laughs> with a with 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 basically what are uh, giant power lines? Yeah. Uh, but this part of the movie has some of like the most ridiculously good looking shots I've seen. Uh, it's. There's a couple really awesome scenes of Godzilla, Godzilla's silhouette in front of a giant sea of flame. Yeah, yeah, and and that is like I would call that iconic, uh, despite the fact that this is the first uh, Godzilla movie I've seen. But uh, it's it that really made a huge impression on me. Um, all of the the human characters running around, uh, their plights. Uh, it was actually super messed up to see uh, that. A broadcasting tower fall i thought that maybe i don't know somebody or something would save them at the last second but yeah that no that guy was dedicated the guy that, and he was dead broadcasting straight through <laughs> to his own death that's right and he just says goodbye everybody goodbye that's yeah. mirrored in the american version uh raymond burr is in a building instead and he has this sort of like he's narrating uh to someone taking notes in in america over uh the radio and he's he's basically like uh, you know, this is Steve Martin reporting from Japan. Goodbye. And then, you know, the building's <laughs> crushed and and then that brings us back to the sort of beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that entire sequence is is just incredible and I uh I was not prepared for that. Uh I another thing I kind of really liked about the movie is a little bit of the world building mm. uh in terms of like Odo Island. I love I love the old guy who just knew everything about Godzilla. <laughs> it's it's such an old wise man archetype and the fact that he was talking to them about the uh about the monster while they were watching like a tengu uh like uh dance and oh yeah we used to we used to feed godzilla you know young girls but we don't do that anymore (laughs) this is is current time he seemed kind of bummed about uh, it yeah he did (laughs) (laughs) um and i know you guys said that dr uh serizawa um i i feel I feel like I must be missing something. I mean, I I thought that he was fantastic and that his uh, character's plight was was uh, very well executed. But I really like Dr. Yamane a lot. Um, that might just be because mm. I recognized Takashi Shimura from Ikiru. Mm-hmm. And he was the first guy I recognized. I was like, oh, like, oh yeah, that's, that's Ikiru guy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I got really, really excited. And uh, he, um, and, you know, he's he's got some inner conflict too, whether or not, you know, well, we sh- should we save this thing or should we just let the army take care of it? And eventually, he kind of gives in. But it's, uh, you know, it it I could I could also see where he's coming from as a man of you know he's a man of science and he wants to study this thing. But which sure. this yeah this yeah viewing I I had a much better context for that because normally I'm it's like yeah the scientist guy just wants to study the thing instead of blowing it up and saving lives. But there's a moment uh, when he's talking about a uh, they're all talk- right before he he kicks Ogata out of the house for saying they should kill Godzilla. Uh, he said su- is ta- they're talking about researching him, and he suggests that it's a once in a lifetime chance to to kind of research how he survived the the 
atomic bombs and mm-hmm. it, it put in a context of like he's kind of speaking towards a wish to be to like what if we could protect ourselves from this sort of thing and and give give much deeper context to me for why he would want to study this instead of just like oh well it's a creature we haven't seen before that's important to science yeah. so it, it it made me feel a lot more for him and and it, part of why i was like well maybe he's sad that godzilla's dead and you can't research him and hopeful that there are more uh, at the end of the movie, thinking back yeah, to that moment. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's actually kind of remarkable how many strong characters there are in this movie, strong and varied characters there are, mm-hmm. uh, when the movie's focus is around this gigantic terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you have Ogata and Emiko are basically the everyman in this in this situation. Well, Emiko is torn between the everyman and the sympathetic uh tortured reluctant yet reluctant hero and then you have the you know the sympathetic geezer who uh wants to save godzilla for for the sake of science or rather for the sake of uh the the you know humanity even mm-hmm. yeah uh, right. i think a, a lot of uh godzilla movies a, a, a sort of common complaint you hear from people is like uh it's like an hour of boring stuff with humans, and then you're just waiting for the monster to show up and just show me the monster. But like, if I think the best movies are the ones that have compelling characters uh, to follow, and in some cases it'll be like a compelling, goofy sci-fi plot to follow, and then sometimes it's uh, something like this where it's a lot more kind of heavy. Um, and I definitely think you know. Uh, Shimura for his for Yamane, uh, I think Shimura is definitely the heart behind that character because through another actor, it could have just been sort of a s- typical scientist uh, that wants to study something for uh, the sake of science. But you really get that sort of like heavy-hearted um, feeling from him. Oh yeah, Shimura acts acts a lot with his uh, eyes, mm-hmm. and that's. Uh... Yeah. And that definitely comes through with um, Dr. Yamane's character. Yeah, definitely. What were you going to say, Scott? I mean, rolling it into that, it's not just his eyes, but just everything about him, his posture, the way he carries himself, to, uh, says a lot about the character. But I was going to say about the cinematography, one of my favorite shots of the movie is when uh, Emiko opens the door and just sees him dejected sitting in the dark by himself. And I just yes. love the way that shot looks and the way it's framed. And uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it makes him so much more sympathetic in that like he's he's crushed over making this decision not being able to to make something good out of this creature of destruction yeah uh backtracking a little bit uh back to i just uh a thought i had about um dr sarazawa uh kind of to um alex's point kind of like why we may be connected with him is I just I think I am a sucker for a sort of like more emotional personal story uh like a, I'm a sucker for like a love story and things like that and so I I definitely love the fact that he does have this sort of scientist and moral quandary of he doesn't want to unleash uh the oxygen destroyer onto the sort of uh the world but there's also this sort of aspect where he's a you know rejected man and he he knows uh that uh, the woman he loves is going to be with someone else. So when it's sort of when the final part of the film happens, there's this added emotional impact as well as uh, just him acting in the, in the uh, interest of science and peace. 
Yeah, I think you can actually see him make that decision in that scene after he's sitting there, like, doubled over, scratching his head once he sees uh, uh, Imiko comforting Ogata. And he's like, well, she's taken care of, but I can't let this be used and stay alive. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's where he makes the decision that he's just going to go down with it. Yeah. Uh, Anybody have any... Anything else that you'd like to say in particular about the movie before we move into the outro? Uh, I was going to say that the uh, the ending scene underwater, I really liked that they, just the, the sound design of it, that they kept the kind of just like quiet and gurgling bubbles mm-hmm. and just how neat that was. I'm not sure how difficult that was to shoot using 1954 film technology, but just everything about that entire scene, uh, I really love just kind of the tension i love the way godzilla looks under the water yeah yeah oh um yeah actually scott that's thank you for that because that's what i wanted to mention um i usually hate (laughs) underwater scenes in movies because they're shot so well so i'm a big fan of the james bond series and i usually dread any underwater scene because it's usually a very very messy fight scene you can barely see what's going on (laughs) um and thunderball in particular has a really like Ugh, it's it's i would i call it i would call it cringeworthy <laughs> but that's that's just me so as soon as they went underwater i'm like oh boy here we go another underwater scene plus 1954 and that was you know thunderball was filmed like 10 yeah. years after the fact get ready for some murkiness yeah. yeah but it was very clear um and it was actually quite great uh i would call it an act an underwater acting tour de force uh, the reason I think that underwater scene works so well is it's not some like super action scene. It's kind of a, a falling action. They're just taking this doomsday weapon to Godzilla, and it's a little tense at the end as he starts to kind of wake up and realize they're there. But it's not the the tension is more just kind of thematic than like actual action. So it's not like we're going to watch people throw slow punches. (laughs) Yeah, right. Whenever there's like a struggle underwater or something, it's always slow and awkward seeming where that almost works in its favor where like Ogata's rising and he already kind of knows that it's he does. He's like calling down to Sarazawa and doesn't want to keep rising. But because of the way the underwater stuff works, you know, he's already being pulled up and he can't help it makes it uh yeah, a lot of good tension and, and more dramatic. Well, that was a great episode, you guys. How do you feel about it? Our first review. Pretty good. I think uh, I think that went, yeah, this, this went very well, I thought. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Uh, so, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at dude exclamation, all one word, on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Vine. Uh, and you should also check out my website, alexkazanis.com. Uh there you will find just you know various uh, illustrations and design work that I've done. Uh, I recently redid my website, so that's pretty much why I'm plugging it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it looks good too. <laughs> How about you, Scott? Thanks. Uh, I am Vriska Chat on Twitter, V R I S K A Chat, uh, because I decided to sign up for Twitter when I got into Homestuck a long time ago. So that's a weird thing. That's <laughs> I'm just going to live with. And that will homestick with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, everywhere else, I'm usually Viria, V-Y-R-I-A. That's my Tumblr, although I haven't been on there lately. Uh, I don't 
make much of anything myself, but I try to curate things that my friends make and, and other cool stuff. So follow me on yeah. there if you want to see what what people I know are doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, follow the you know everyone should follow us on Twitter and talk to us about movies and stuff. Uh, my uh, Twitter and Tumblr are Joey Weiser, so at Joey Weiser, JoeyWeiser.tumblr.com. Uh, the I'm a cartoonist, uh, as I mentioned in the episode zero. I draw a comic series called Merman, which is an all ages action adventure comedy uh, that has roots in Godzilla and, and actually some references to uh, Godzilla and Godzilla type movies. Uh, and the there's four volumes out now in hardcover, and the soft cover for volume one just came out. So. Uh, check it out. Uh, I'll be at Heroes Con uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 17th through 19th. And uh, the following weekend, I'll be at the ALA conference, uh, the American Library Association conference in Orlando, Florida. So if there are any librarians listening, they should come see me. But definitely, uh, yeah, if you're at Heroes Con and, and want to talk up uh, Japanese movies, I'd, I'd love to love to meet you. Uh, also, the this show has a Twitter account <laughs> recently created uh, at Toho Yarrow. Um, we'll use that account uh, mostly to post new episodes and make announcements like each month's upcoming film. Uh, we might, uh, we'll, we'll see um, kind of experimenting if we want to do anything more than that, but for sure that's uh, a good place to go to see what the new episode is and things like that uh, at Toho Yarrow on Twitter. Uh, follow it and tweet at us what you thought of the show uh, or think thoughts about Godzilla or anything else from the world of Japanese cinema. So, uh, Alex, what are we going to be talking about next month? Right, right. Uh, so for July, we've uh, decided on Sonatine. Uh, we're going to delve into the work of uh, Beat Takeshi, a.k.a. Uh, Takeshi Kitano, who uh, you may recognize as the uh, the headmaster in Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, well, most people will probably recognize him as Vic Romano of uh, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, on, uh, We're going to have to talk about that next month for sure. Yes. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about with Beat Takeshi. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Sonatine is one of his most well-known uh, films. Uh, he directed it, he wrote it, and he edited it, and he starred in it. So, uh, well... That's like most of his films, but we'll probably touch more on that next month. So uh, if you want to watch the movie and um, get ready for the episode along with us, it's available for streaming on Netflix. As yeah. of the recording of this Convenient. episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, with this show, we can't always promise that the movies we talk about are going to be easy to find, uh, especially something streaming. But when something like that is available, we're definitely going to try to make note of it for sure. Yep. And uh, speaking of uh, Godzilla, you can find that pretty much, uh, you can rent it on Amazon, I think, and you can purchase it on Criterion DVD and other uh, such DVDs. The yeah, Criterion DVD sure. looks great. You should definitely it, check it out. Yeah, it's super good. Uh, so yeah, go out, uh, watch Sonatine, and return next month for Toho Yarrow. Toho Yarrow.